Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. My name is Josue Cardona. With me today is Dr. Patrick O'Connor, frequent collaborator, good friend of the show, fellow geek therapist. Um, we're going to talk about an article that came out this week. So first of all, Patrick, welcome back. Thank you. It's going to be glad, glad to be here. So we're going to talk this week about an article that came out in the Daily Beast. Um, we got contacted by a reporter named Alex Suskind, and I, I want you to tell us uh, how you feel about it. But I, th I thought it was great that um, he contacted us and, and really recognized the work that we're doing. And I kind of wanted to have this moment to maybe, you know, answer some questions that people might have about the article and maybe flesh out some information that was there for anybody that's interested. Um, sure. How do you how do you feel about what was in the article? How how do you feel that there was an article? Yeah, I, no, it was crazy. I, I especially because um, you know, he reached out to me a while back and and said, yeah, I think it might be cool to, to talk about this, you know, superheroes and therapy idea and comic books and therapy, and and said, sure, like that sounds great. And um, and so we, you know, we we um, we talked then we uh, talked over the phone and you know, he asked me a bunch of questions about it and, and it was cool. And then, um, yeah, I thought it sounds like it's be kind of like a, a story that's going to bring together a lot of people, a lot of different perspectives and stuff. And honestly, I had no idea just kind of how specific it was going to be in terms of covering Comicspedia and, and then your geek therapy. Um, I, I thought that maybe as much as we talked, that maybe it would still just be kind of like a sentence here or there or a quote here or there. And that would be it. Um, so anyway, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm ecstatic and, and, and just was blown away by, um, not only the, the article itself in terms of, um, like, you know, how much, uh, you know, about comics media and geek therapy there was, but really just like the quality of the article and how cool it was that, um, it was very kind of, uh, celebratory about, uh, geek culture and comic books and superheroes and, uh, how exciting it is to be, uh, involved in this kind of work. Yeah, I was surprised too to see that he gave kind of our story, right? About Comicspedia and, and geek therapy. Um, but, but the article is called The Rise of Superhero Therapy, Comic Books as Psychological Treatment. So it's, it's really about the whole concept of superhero therapy, right? Which is, which is interesting because, um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I never use that term specifically. Um, right. So I think, I think he's actually touching on a lot of different things. So I'm glad that, um, he actually does mention other people. He mentions, uh, Dr. Rubin, who we've had on the show too. And, and I, I look at him as kind of one of the people who really maybe brought it to, to the forefront. You know, he was somebody who was, uh, involved in professional organizations. And I know he's been very involved in the Association for Creativity and Counseling. And he wrote a book on using superheroes in counseling and, and play therapy. And I had never found any other book like that that just has clinical applications of using superheroes and fictional characters. So I'm glad, very glad that he was mentioned there. And, and Alex did a great job. The, the reporters did a great job. He even mentioned like how far this concept goes back. Yeah, right. right. Back to 1940. Yeah, back to 1940. Mm. Let me see who, what he said. He said 1941. Oh, 1941. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a mere three years after the first Superman issue hit stands. Hmm. Right. Um, direct quote from the article, Bender published an article with uh, Reginald Laurie detailing how a superhero story could assist in a therapist's ability to treat patients ages 10 to 12. So so we're not we're not talking about like novel concepts. Right. We're, we're, we're really what we do now. We build upon what other people have done for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and actually I just had a conversation with, uh, some expressive arts therapists recently. Um, there was an open house at a place called the Institute for Therapy Through the Arts in Chicago. 
And, uh, and I, I met some of those therapists in, in, uh, in years past, but it, so it was nice to kind of reconnect with them. And in, in speaking to them about their work, it came up again about how often the superhero metaphor, uh, emerges in expressive arts therapy work. And for those of you, uh, anybody listening to this who maybe is unfamiliar with it, um, expressive arts therapy can include, um, art therapy, music therapy, uh, dance and movement therapy, drama therapy, um, poetry or bibliotherapy. And when you start to think about creative ways to, to approach the superhero kind of metaphor and the superhero idea of what it means to be super and what it means to kind of tackle big problems, um, with, with a great deal of maybe bravery or, or other kind of like strong personal attributes that, um, using artistic, um, methods like, you know, whether it's in the visual medium, or in, in role playing and, and using, uh, dramatic techniques is, it's perfect. It's, it's made for that kind of thing. So it was, you know, I mean, it, I was on cloud nine when I was speaking with these therapists about how cool it was that the, the different, uh, methods that they're using of bringing the superhero into this. And, and again, you know, they, they, um, very gently reminded me, yeah, this isn't like my idea. Like, I know it's not my idea. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, you know, and that people have been doing this, especially drama therapists for such a long time. Um, but it's, you know, everybody kind of does it in their own kind of way. And, uh, and I just love hearing the stories from people about how, like what their way looks like. I, I want us to get into that a little too, right? Like the, what your work, Comicspedia particularly, um, mm -hmm. is different from what I talk about when I say geek therapy. But I think what you're, what you're getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? Is that idea that superheroes, like a lot of people use them in different ways. It's because at this point, everybody knows who they are right um we could we could talk about archetypes and i don't think that superman or batman necessarily need to fall into line with some other already established archetypes they are their own archetypes right, right. would you agree right. with that yeah 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 absolutely in fact that they're going to be um now that they've been around for so long there are comic books that um kind of uh make fun of or on, the, on kind of a, a slightly uh, different vein will uh, like have characters that are inspired by these long existing heroes. You know, we had a, um, uh, a, a podcast we recorded together a, a while back about irredeemable and incorruptible and um, irredeemable. It, it, the, the main character, the Plutonian is very much a Superman kind of archetypal character. Uh, much of his powers and much of his, um, uh, some, some of the, some of the stuff that he grapples with is, is, can, can be found in, in Superman stories. But really, the whole idea of, um, having this, this limitless strength and being this kind of like alien figure in, in Earth and knowing that you feel different in these kind of surroundings, that it, it resonates through Irredeemable, but also several other comic books in, in, you know, in 75 years of Superman's existence. So yeah, they absolutely are kind of their own archetype, um, at this point because of how, as you mentioned, how common they are. Um, how long they've been around, and uh, and really just how unique they are um, amongst one another when we start looking at the diversity among superheroes. I recently um, had an experience with my, my grandmother. She's like 85 years old, and she was talking about a neighbor. She saw him like throwing stuff out. I don't remember exactly what, what the analogy was, but she said, oh, he thinks he's Superman. That old man thinks he's Superman. And mm -hmm. I can guarantee you she's never read a comic book. She's never seen a Superman movie. She's never seen a TV, seen him on TV, yet she mm -hmm. knows who Superman is. She knows that he's a strong character. Yeah, right? I, 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 I once had a, a student in, um, in my intro to psych class. So I, there's a, a, 
uh, a little unit we talk about personality and and uh, we talk about Batman at that point and um, I asked the students who work in small groups about uh, around this kind of idea of applying a, a personality model to uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne and um, uh, and so they get into to small groups and she's kind of like looking like not very comfortable and not very um, you know into it so I come over to her group and kind of ask like what's going on and she said well I've never seen any of the movies and I said, that's, that's fine. I mean, have you read any of the books? No. She said, honestly, I really don't know anything about Batman. And, you know, I'm thinking like, I kind of want to take this as a little bit of a challenge. Like, let's see. So I already have up there a picture of Bruce Wayne and Batman. So that's kind of spoiled. But I asked her like, can you tell me anything at all that you know about Batman? She's like, I don't think so. I said, well, do you know anything about the kind of car he drives? And she said, you mean the Batmobile? I said, bingo. That right there, that's a very specific word. Nobody else drives the Batmobile than Batman. So, like, right there, whether it's it's the tiniest little fact that even when you're not watching the movies, the TV shows, cartoons, the, the comics, all the different places that you can find Batman, it's going to make its way to you. Um, so, yeah, just as you said in your example, too, people know who these heroes are without necessarily having to dive into the media that's, that's you know, that, that's made for them. And you mentioned... Uh... You know, there, there are different newer versions of superheroes that use Superman and Batman as maybe like the foundation. And it's obvious, too. Right. Uh, uh, I know Midnighter and Apollo are two examples from DC Comics um, in the Stormwatch series. You talked we've talked about a redeemable in the past. Right. There's a very direct correlation there. Um, Supreme Squadron is another example that actually has a very, very, very um, similar Superman origin story in it. But it's a, it's a Marvel comic. And I mean, and this type of thing happens a lot. I think we've talked about comics in the past. Right? I, I don't know about you, but I talk to people about a certain comic. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a Superman type story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Just because people, people know what that means. Mm-hmm. They're influential Absolutely. just over, overall. And, and my grandma example, like that, I love that. When she said that, I couldn't believe it. Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought that was great. So, and, and I think that lends itself to, to being able to use superheroes in so many different ways. So, so when we talk about superhero therapy, right, what would, what would you say to somebody that says, what is superhero therapy? Hmm. That's a good question. What, what is superhero therapy? Um, like, I don't think it's one thing, right? I think, right. I think it's many different things. I think it's, I think to a point, you know, when, when we consider kind of like, if I can get kind of like, I don't know, technical for a second, um, that when we think about you know, like a, a something therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, humanistic therapy. And, and I'm not saying superhero therapy is anywhere near those bigs. Um, but you know, it's, there's, there's like the what it is, which is the therapy. And then there's like the what guides it. And that's like the humanistic or the cognitive behavioral. So I would, I think that when I think of superhero therapy, I think of the superhero story, the metaphor, the, the, you know, the main kind of attributes of what it means to be super is the guiding um, piece for the therapeutic change. Um, it could be, and, and not necessarily that it's the piece that causes the change. Like that's that, that, that is what it is, but that, um, the superhero metaphor is a very kind of constant thread that's being woven through the work that you're doing, whether you're reading comic books, um, and then processing them, or if you are doing, um, again, using dramatic techniques to kind of have, uh, um, um, have kind of support characters in a group setting where, um, you're a, a hero and then you have um, some other people in your group who are acting as allies or, uh, or you know, opposition um, as your as your enemies and villains um, and how you're going to kind of like interact with facing some of your issues or facing some of your villains that you feel like you have in life um, that 
whatever is 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 going on that the superhero piece is going to continue to be there for a good kind of chunk of of the of the therapeutic process so that's um in short i think that it's it really emphasizes the superhero story and what it means to be super and that it's through that that we um elicit some sort of therapeutic change yep i would say if i have to define it right if i have to break it into like bringing it to one main core concept would would definitely be the narrative right mm-hmm. so we're we're using those stories whether you see yourself as a superhero or the villain or i love i love the fact that in comic books in particular you can have one panel just one you know square of a page that can mean so much and and maybe there's a superhero in there maybe maybe it's a super heroic event that's happening maybe it's a very solemn very calm moment that's happening right now, one of the great things about batman right is that you have all these moments where he's at home with alfred right that are that are just as important as a lot of things that are going on with uh, him and his enemies or just him and robin so i think yeah definitely the narrative right and mm-hmm. and i think you know there is such a thing as narrative therapy and it's it's been around for a long time and it's all about um using stories and telling your story and rewriting your story you know um something that that i think is a big part of of what you would do if you had superhero narratives as as a, a foundation for your for your discussions with the client absolutely yeah i think you know superhero therapy could be lots of different things so let's talk specifically about what we do right so so you go ahead. Uh, it, it mentions Comicspedia in the article. Um, just say really quick what Comicspedia is and kind of what type of superhero therapy you do in particular. Yeah. So Comicspedia is an online database full of hundreds of individual comic book issue summaries. And each summary is tagged with one of 16 um, relevant kind of um, psychological themes, essentially themes that um, just about pretty much anybody can relate to. Uh, but what what makes that important is that superheroes are often people are often these characters that anybody can relate to, and then I try to select themes that anybody can relate to, so you can fi- kind of find the the ideal intersection for the person you're working with. So some of these themes include facing fear, or others' expectations, or difficult decisions, or uh, deception. And when you go to these themes, when you pull them up. You pull up, let's say, difficult decisions. You're provided then with a list of uh, all the comic books in this database that are tagged with difficult decisions as a theme. So from there, then, you start pulling up some of these comic book issue summaries and saying, like, well, let's see, I think I want to pull up Nightwing. Nightwing issue 101, boom, I have a little summary right here in front of me that's about 100 to 300 words long at the the top end um, that's just going to quickly go through the basic story of uh, of this issue and you're going to then see not only is it tagged with difficult decisions but also with family and others expectations so the idea here is that if you're working with a client who is struggling with decision making and maybe has some issues around family or how others feel about them and expect them to be a certain way how do i make this kind of decision nightwing itself is uh, the the story of, of how dick grayson became nightwing is incredible um adolescent metaphor for becoming kind of your own person and figuring out who you are when you've kind of been cast out by your parents and, and, you know, you're naturally thrust into adult responsibility. Okay. Now it's time to be your own person. Cause that's who you, that's kind of who you have to be for the rest of your life. You can't be Robin in your, you know, thirties, forties and fifties. So he be, then becomes Nightwing. 
and again, so finding these themes and um, and then using these to, to um, uh, select specific issues of comic books, then you can bring those into session. And um, and typically, my experience had been that uh, clients will spend anywhere from about 15 to 20 minutes or so to read a single issue. And that still leaves the majority of the session then to kind of process through um, how they kind of see themselves in that comic book. So they can say, you know, I... I I can see how um, Nightwing was maybe struggling with some issues around decision making, and I've been there too. And you know, this and a therapist can kind of guide some of those questions too. You know, when was a time that you felt like you had a tough decision in your life? Um, or let's focus on this particular kind of difficult decision. Um, how do you think the story is going to continue by the end of this issue? Um, how do you think this decision is going to play in? to how um, Dick Grayson's life story is going to play out in the future. Now let's talk about maybe some of the decisions that you make that are going to play out into the future. So this is uh, this is essentially where um, uh, I see Comicspedia being useful in terms of um, bringing comic books into therapy and making it fun, making it interesting, and uh, finding a way to talk about some of these deeper issues with clients who, especially on the, on the teenager's side, um, may not want to be there and, and already have this idea of like, I have to come in here and tell somebody all about my, uh, my thoughts, my feelings and all this stuff like this stranger. I don't know who this person is. Um, but it, you walk in and the person's holding like, a couple of comic books and like, let's just read these together and kind of talk about it for a little bit. It makes it much more approachable for somebody who um, may be a little bit adverse to the therapeutic process. So again, Comicspedia has all of these issues and all these themes in there. And that's uh, where I see that, that it's useful. And so you've developed an, kind of an entire model, right? I've seen the forms that you have, right, that you can fill out. I've seen the database. So there is there is an entire model built around this idea of Comicspedia. Right, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. one thing I didn't mention was the um, uh, were the forms. Um, I have, like, these little uh, record cards, essentially, where you, you fill it out and you, you get a line where you put in the, the, the client's name. Of course, you keep this um, in their confidential file. And the comic that you read this week, the themes that were covered from that issue as according to Comicspedia that week um, or anything else that you think may be relevant. And then uh, what the issue is you're going to work on next week. You know, so we're going to do Hawkman number two or something next week. Write that down at the bottom and and all that. So when you go back and, and pull the client's file the next time you see them, you know kind of where you were and then where you're going. After some time, after you get like two or three even, just a few of these together, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to track the themes that you've covered through these comic books so far. So you can say, you know, even even if it wasn't intentional, maybe you were focused on on difficult decisions, but just by looking at the themes that they were also marked with along the way, maybe you notice that family came up kind of often. And now along the way, you can kind of find that common thread of of you know, were there any family issues, unresolved issues, maybe that we haven't talked about that that uh, was kind of coming up in regards to these specific issues, um, family kind of kept coming up. Uh, what do you think about how these characters were handling their, their own family issues? Um, so I try to provide some other um, uh, you know, resources for people to kind of um, dive into bringing comic books kind of you know, with some regularity into their therapy sessions. And this is specifically like this is this is how you work, right? This is your way of, of, of using comic books and therapy. Right. Yeah. When, yeah. When I was practicing therapy, that was exactly what I was doing. I had all those little record cards printed out. I did for, for everybody, you know, I kept track of that. And, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, for, for the clients that, 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 that seemed, who seemed that they were interested in doing this kind of work, like they had expressed, 
um, an interest in superheroes or that they read comic books or, you know, that's um, that they like to watch, uh, you know, a, a Batman cartoon or something. Um, if they already are comfortable with sharing this part of themselves with me, then I would share part of this with them and say, I think that, you know, um, maybe we could read a couple of Batman comics. What do you say? And we trans, we kind of, you know, transfer into that kind of a, that kind of a mode of now we're going to do this for maybe two or three sessions and kind of see how it goes, feel it out, make sure that's working and that we're going into a, a good, uh, uh, you know, direction of progress. And then, you know, kind of feel it out and see, is this something we can maintain or is this something we have to now change, change gears and kind of, um, get, go into a different direction. Yep. And, and like I was saying, this is, this is your way of, of doing it. And I think different people could use comic books in, in different ways. Right. right. Like, uh, I'm mm -hmm. sure you've heard stories, right? About people using them in, in different ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's, uh, um, a therapist even from, um, I think from Ireland, we share the same last name and he has a very Irish name, um, uh, Kieran O'Connor. And, uh, he's comment, we you follow each other on Google plus and he'll, and he'll frequently comment on some of the stuff that I'm sharing, uh, because he said that he does a lot of this in his own work as a psychotherapist. Um, uh, you know, he, he really, he strongly believes in the power of the fantasy story from, from all kind of walks of life of fantasy stories. And he, uh, will, as, as he's told me that he would use this kind of work that use these kind of metaphors in therapy with his clients, um, finding the stories that speak to them, uh, that are there, you know, the fictional stories that speak to them and then finding out why it's meaningful for them. And you and I have talking in the past, you've used the term comic book therapy, right? Would mm -hmm. you consider, would you consider what you do comic book therapy? Would you consider like what my model is specifically comicspedia like would you make a distinction between one and the other yeah i would say i think that um comicspedia would fall under perhaps a term of of comic book therapy that you know if superhero therapy would be broader and includes different techniques that um that that would fall into that because um other things that i've done that that um don't utilize the database necessarily directly um has included um using comic book making techniques like scott mcleod's making comics um book Incredible book, highly recommended for anybody um, for any reason, whether it's you, you want to learn how to make comics or um, for finding kind of like little exercises to use in therapy. He has um, uh, he has these different exercises to encourage um, comic book creators to kind of engage with that process of how it how exactly do you make a good comic book? And one of the tech, one of the exercises that I've used was with um, uh, involved. Um, kind of like changing hands. I forget exactly the name at the moment, but um, kind of changing hands in in telling a singular story. And what happens is, uh, I we had a, a sort of like a comic book creating camp for kids with um, some social issues, whether it was Asperger's or or not diagnosed. Um, you know, the, the these um, adolescent kids were were identified as as having some sort of um, social delays and. So we brought them in under this kind of like umbrella term of like, let's, you know, idea of let's create comics together and do it all together and have fun and, and learn from each other's stories and, and help each other out. And so in this technique, um, we would cr have this like huge sheet of paper. One person would create the first panel and they'd kind of tell what they want the story to be to the next person. And then we move the sheet over. The next person then creates the next panel of how do we kind of continue the story from there now they kind of explain this is where I want the story to go pass it to the next person that person now adds another panel and now the this group creates their own page of comic book 
um, that's telling one story that they've all contributed to. And they're going to portray the scenes and, and the, the perspectives of what's happening in very different ways. As much as the story may sound very similar, and Scott it illustrates this, um, you know, somebody walking up, um, picking up a penny and then moving on about their day. You can draw that in any number of different ways and, and include emotion or make it very kind of like benign. You can zoom in on the penny and make that like very shiny and exciting or make it just kind of like, oh, I don't really care. It's just a thing on the ground. And it, that just really illustrates the idea that you can tell one story and have any number of different reactions to what it feels like or how you think it looks or any of that. And so these kids were able to kind of work through the, the some of these, like address these social issues of what happens when somebody misunderstands me or what happens if somebody takes what I said and makes it kind of cooler. Like I actually really like that idea that you contributed to it. Um, they don't really maybe draw the person exactly as I envisioned them. Um, so we, we introduce some of these little roadblocks or kind of bumps on the road and, and allow the, uh, allow the clients to kind of, um, work through that on their own terms. And what you just described, if it wasn't comic books, we could have been talking about drama or improv or writing yeah. or a million different ways, right? And, right. and in the context of comic books, it, that's a perfect example because we're doing things that other people, um, have been doing for years and developed and, and we know that they work. Right. right? So, so I'm, I'm glad you brought, brought up that example. So yeah, so even comic book therapy could mean a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think even broader, right? Uh, the, the idea of geek therapy, right? Um, which is what, what's mentioned in the article, uh, regarding, regarding me as, as a brand, as a website, it, its purpose is to kind of highlight a lot of different things, right? Just the, the positives of geek culture. But from the therapeutic and clinical side, there's all these people that are featured, right? There's your work that's featured. There's, um, we finally have a contributor who is, um, like saying how he uses tabletop games and therapy, right? And we have all these different examples on the podcast of, of people doing the same. So as far as geek therapy as a, as a whole concept goes, um, it's really about people's interests. And, and you mentioned this regarding superheroes. If somebody is interested in superheroes or if they're more interested in creating a comic book, than doing a dramatization, right? So why wouldn't you just go with that? You're doing the same activity. You're going in the same direction, right? You're you're essentially performing the same task, just through a different lens and using what the client is most interested in. So, and and that's what we're talking about here, right? So right, yeah. Uh, like geek mm -hmm. therapy in 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 general is to me is about people's passions and their interests. You and I have had this conversation in the past. How are we going to define geek therapy? And, and I was really reluctant about it because I believe it encompasses all of the things that many of us do regarding, um, our passions. And, and, and if we're going with the, the definition of geek as the video game, comic book, um, sci-fi fantasy nerd, right? Then that means, that means using superheroes is, is a part of it. And, mm -hmm. and there's lots of different ways to do that. I like what you said about the kind of stereotypical geek of, of, you know, incorporating, um, you know, video games, which are incredibly mainstream now. Of course, there's, you know, it, it's hard to kind of like stereotype, uh, the majority of, of the American population. Um, but, uh, you know, so comic books and nerdy things and reading or, you know, oh my God, that's how so nerdy that you want to read a book. Um, but so there's that definitely there, there's that kind of piece of like what somebody may picture in their mind as being a geek. And when I, when I teach my geek culture and therapy course, um, I, I do think we have to get to a point of defining geek, and, but I do kind of wrestle with that idea because the way I define it is, um, a person who makes a conscious effort to develop his or her knowledge about an interest. 
So you have to take something that you like to do and actually put effort or work into enhancing that interest. And because of that, of course, you can be, um, uh, you know, a baseball geek and somebody who uh, follows uh, all the teams regard like you'll have a favorite, but you'll follow all the teams because you want to keep an eye on players. And, and is this person going to come traded to my team? And what's going on in the farm system and in AAA, AA and single A? And what's going on with this person's statistics and, and, you know, how they're kind of trending in terms of how they're performing and, and on the pitcher's mound or behind the plate or, you know, um, um, you know as a batter and, and whatnot. So you can really get into the statistics side and into the the players' backgrounds and their biographies and really work at knowing a lot about baseball and what's going on in the majors. Um, and I think that's being geeky, and I think that's awesome because you're that's something you like to do, and you're really kind of working at developing that. Um, the flip side to that is when I teach geek culture and therapy, that of course I do kind of come back to the same traditional stereotypical kind of geeky things so we talk about Phineas and Ferb or Doctor Who and community and Harry Potter and Star Wars and um, you know uh, uh, massively multiplayer online role-playing games and um, all that kind of stuff that you know that, that some people will be like well that's kind of what geeks are into or whatever so there is that that kind of difficulty of how much of this is is kind of broadly applicable versus how versus how much of it is still this kind of um, specific community that um, has maybe somewhat clearly defined boundaries or maybe do even does it, you know, is there is as popular as Doctor Who is, is that really a geeky thing at all anymore? Sure. And, and regarding superheroes, like the Avengers made a lot of money because a lot of people saw it. Right. right yeah. And now everybody knows what that is. Everybody. And like we said at the beginning, everybody knows who Superman is. Everybody knows who, um, or maybe maybe it's better to say they know what Superman is and what um, Batman is, right? Right. Because they represent mm -hmm. all these different things. I I know the the trailer for Gardens of the Galaxy just came out, right? And I told you next time you teach that class, uh, the geek culture and therapy class, you're gonna want to talk about that because it's gonna be on people's minds, right? Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's gonna be they're they're unorthodox superheroes, but they are they're still going to be in that genre and it's going to be on people's minds. People are going to be talking about it when that movie comes out. And, and superheroes are just something that people know and people talk about often. So I think, it, you know, whether they're, they're a geek or not, right. Just using that narrative, just taking advantage of the fact that people are into it. And then it looks very different, right. Depending on the age group. So you talked about a, a group with children, right. And, uh, but really comic books, comic books are, is an expensive hobby. And mm -hmm. a lot of people who read comic books are older, just like with video games. It's the same thing. The demographics uh, skew older because who can afford to have that as a, as a, as an actual big time hobby? And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe for younger generations, it's, it's superheroes in cartoon form or in movies, right? I love that Lego now has uh, superhero sets and we have Lego movies um, of, of superheroes and, so it looks different at different ages. Just like, I mean, this doesn't happen as often anymore, but there are novelizations of, uh, of comic book stories, right? You could read a novel, um, of that if, if you preferred that, you know, and, and you might like that. It's still a superhero story. So, so it looks different across different generations, but it's still something that you could absolutely apply across the board because again, because it's something people know and people are talking about. Absolutely. So, we, we talked about the research aspect of it, right? We've kind of laid out there that 
superhero therapy can be many, many different things. Comic book therapy could mean different things. Geek therapy, I see it as a very broad term that I would, I would define as simply using people's passions within therapy, right? If I had to bring it down to like one phrase. So, so I, I know you've gotten this question in the past. I get it too. Is it evidence based, right? Is it, where is the research to back up that what Alex is talking about in this article, that it works, that what we're doing actually works? So in, in the article in the Daily Beast, Alex mentions that according to the APA, that organization doesn't recognize comic book therapy as being um, evidence-based treatment, which is understandable. Um, but also it's, it, it kind of makes sense to me in terms of why it's not being researched. So when we consider something, let's say just for a second, consider video game research. Now, video games have been around for over 40 years, and, they, and they've certainly grown in popularity in, in the last couple of decades or so. But for the first two or three decades that it was around, up until 2000, at this point we're already well into PlayStation and Xbox and, and all that stuff, that uh, you know, Nintendo was, has long been, been around, um, relatively speaking. By the time you get up to two th- the year 2000, you're lucky if you're going to find maybe just a couple hundred or a few hundred results on PsychInfo. But in the last decade alone, from 2000 to 2010, that specific decade, you're looking at almost 1,200 results. So we're looking at like a huge explosion of video game research because it's a very popular recreational tool. When we talk about comic books, on the other hand, it's it was very popular when they first came out. Nine out of every ten kids, fifth graders in, in the early 1940s, were reading comic books. That was the recreation of choice. Today, it is still a very small kind of niche interest, which is extremely unfortunate because comics are awesome, of course. But it would only make sense that it's not something that's researched as rigorously because there just aren't as many people who already... Uh, read comic books or not many therapists who make that a part of their practice and, and are looking for that kind of research to back it up. So I, I understand why it's not being sought after and why there isn't a whole lot of research on it. It's extremely unfortunate, especially when we take that information and compare it to what we've been talking about with regard to the popularity of superheroes. So many people know all these different uh, um, facts about superheroes. So many people love superheroes because they watch the TV shows or the, the movies and all that stuff that we keep talking about. And it is because of that love that I think that research into superheroes and how um, the metaphor can affect a person and how we can see ourselves in them and how maybe even affects our identity or affects our way of thinking or how we form relationships with people. I think that work should absolutely be done into that kind of uh, direction. So the APA isn't isn't wrong right <laughs> right right no there isn't no. a lot of uh research backing up the idea of comic book uh therapy and then the whole idea of using metaphors and superheroes i guess there's there are a lot of articles about different characters throughout the years so i i think and at least i use that in my arguments you know substitute one character for another and and again we're doing we're doing similar work the, the way I look at it is when, when somebody tells me, well, how can you, you know, what, what does the research say about what you're doing? And at least on, on my end, right? Like maybe, maybe someday, or I'm hoping that someday we have, you know, Comicspedia develops into like uh, a whole, uh, the, the model, um, like continues to grow over time, right? That's going to naturally happen, especially if more people, um, have interest in it. And then you do clinical trials and things like that. But just the idea of using archetypes of superheroes, metaphors, narratives, Especially when you're talking about what we're saying, which is 
that's something that interests you, let's let's use it in therapy. And if it doesn't interest you, then we won't use it. So what would the what would the research be? Um, one control group has, uh, you know, we can't talk about your interests, and then the other one you can, right? I mean, I don't know how you would uh, design a research like that. And I, I welcome research into this in any way, shape, or form. Any way that people can do this uh, would be fantastic, and I would love to see to see the results. But um, I'll keep saying, like, we're just using concepts that are familiar and established and have been going on for for years and years right absolutely um you're right like there is there is research out there and and that's been kind of a, a struggle with how i've tried to put together this course on on bringing geek culture you know geek culture in therapy essentially how do we bring geek culture into um into uh, therapeutic sessions and you know, we cover things like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and the superhero unit, um, is, is a couple of weeks, a few weeks long or so. But because it's, I can't find the evidence based articles saying that this is, you know, how, what percentage of people can benefit to this kind of uh, effect size with yada, yada, yada. Um, instead I bring in different articles like, um, uh, an article on using X-Men comic books to teach business ethics. Um, I have an article on, um, themes of wealth in comic books and how that kind of uh, plays out in terms of um, how wealth is is expressed and uh, how it can impact people, and then how are those values then communicated to the reader, um, and then uh, other research that looks into um, children who seem to be losing uh, an ability to symbolize and and to uh, uh, use their their fantasy based thinking, and that it's in in one um, article in particular, it's proposed that. Uh, that kids are, are not exposed to fictional stories nearly as much, especially in, in um, written form. Um, they're not exposed to fictional stories nearly as much as they were in the past. And that's through fiction that kids can work with this fantasy, maintain creativity, um, have really cool kind of symbolic concepts and connect with one another through these stories. Um, and, uh, and that comic books, this author in particular argues that comic books are a great way to kind of get kids to uh, reignite their their um, symbolization, their ability to uh, symbolize with that, um, to, to you know think with in terms of metaphor and, and use fantasy. So yeah, th- this is kind of like the approach I have to take because I, I'm you know I'm always on the lookout for you know good research on these kinds of ideas and concepts. But um, that's essentially how you know we we bring research um, in, into that. The other side too is. Um, you know, you and I went to Comic-Con last year and as much, you know, crazy, awesome fun as that was, um, we went there because there was a conference, right? The Comics Arts Conference. And there we were treated to to some incredible panels that are really looking at some, some, um, uh, incredible, some, some amazing issues in comic books, um, in terms of, uh, gender equality and, and representation there, um, academics in, in, um, English, there were academics in philosophy and academics in psychology, of course, and people representing all these different kinds of, um, uh, you know, disciplines who put academic value on comic books. And so the, again, the community is out there and sometimes it takes a little bit of work to find them. Um, but, uh, but again, we're, we're here, we're around. You know, you're talking about all this different research. It reminds me of having to write research papers, right? A lot of times when you do that, you're looking for research that you can tie together to the concepts that you're trying to present, right? That's like, that's, that's what your students are doing for the most part right now, because they're not going right. out and doing research. They're getting research to back up what they're saying. And a right. lot of what we do is we, we make those connections. So yeah, 
I'm talking about a story. It's a superhero story in a comic book. And all of this research supports the idea of using metaphors and using stories and how powerful that is and how effective it is. So I love the, I love the fact that you brought up the, the comics art conference because they, they do bring up a lot of, um, where our field is going, where all, all, um, comic books are, are going in terms of academia and research. Like a lot of people are starting to look into it. Again, not as much as video games. You're absolutely right. But, but it is happening. It is growing. And maybe a lot of it isn't clinical application, right? I don't know how many, mm-hmm. I think we were the only ones who really had a psychology therapy focus to, to our presentation. But, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's happening. And some of the stuff that other people are doing is applicable. I remember one presentation and I hope I'm remembering this correctly. I don't remember anybody's name on the presentation. I'm very sorry about that. But I believe it was about a woman in Japan who was making comic books about the influence of American rap music on Japanese culture, I think, something like that. It was um, it was a very personal story about how she saw African-Americans and how she saw like rap culture and being someone from a different country and all the effects it had on her. I mean, it was just a, a great example of of what comic books can be. Right. She was telling her own story and it was a story that affected a lot of people and it had nothing to do with superheroes. Um, and, and that's something that I wanted to make sure we touched on, too. The article is about superhero therapy, this idea of superheroes. And I know Comicspedia, I, is it primarily superheroes? Yeah, it's it's very much superhero centric. Um, the only character in Com- Comicspedia that is not a superhero is um, Gwen from the comic book I Zombie, um, which is a, a really cool book. It's I, I don't think it's being published anymore, but um, it's the first like handful of issues I have that are summarized in there. But it's about this detective um, who, uh, well, sort of detective. It's actually about a a zombie girl who works in a graveyard and she has to eat brains in order to keep herself like kind of alive. But the problem with this is that when she eats a brain, um, it's uh, it, she ha- she takes on all the memories of the person whose brain it was, and she goes to eat one one day to kind of kind of keep herself from becoming dead undead. I don't know. Um, and she she eats it, and this this person's memory last memories are how he was murdered, and she realized like this guy the as the memories memories were kind of coming in that there was this kind of unresolved issue, this unsolved problem of that was really nagging her of like I need to figure this out. So and then it becomes kind of a bigger problem, as of course you know any kind of good detective show um, you know portrays that when you start to dive into a case, it gets a lot bigger than you thought it would be went from the get go. So um, anyway, that's that's I Zombie, and uh, and that's that's the only one out of the twenty five characters that I feature in, in Comicspedia. Um, she's the only one that who's um, uh, not a hero or superhero or anything like that. She's just you know she's the zombie genre. And and there are a lot of very popular comic books that aren't superhero comic books. Like The Walking Dead is the best example we have right now that is influential and people know about. Sure, a lot of it has to do with the, with the TV show, but it was already a very popular and um, successful comic book. And it has nothing to do with superheroes. Um, but the themes that are presented there are amazing. There's so many things about survival and just being human. That can that could that could be really 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 effective in with, with specific people in therapy, and and I read tons of comic books, uh, and I'd say maybe half of them are superhero related. 
and I don't know, I don't know how that is for you, but definitely comic books in themselves, people associate them with superheroes and and it goes way beyond that. So I know it's kind of confusing. We keep going back between the idea of superhero therapy and just using comic books in particular, but the article does touch on, on both. Like I said, it touches on a lot of different topics. Right. And, and, um, going back to the walking dead for a second, that Robert Kirkman himself, the, the writer and, you know, um, of the, of the walking dead said like some people w- would kind of criticize the walking dead and say, this isn't like a zombie show. This is like a soap opera. Well, Kirkman himself like owns up to that. And he says, yeah, like I like writing drama. I like writing, like I love creating something that's basically like a soap opera. That's my goal. I just use the zombie piece as just kind of like a way to kind of fill it in and, and make it colorful and make it interesting and really kind of force some of the dramatic issues that I would, that I want to write about um, to be bringing in, you know, um, losing, losing people you love and to bring in, um, you know, the, the fear of losing your own life or, uh, or, you know, how somebody turns and what if they become like themselves, but they're not like themselves. And how do you respond to that? All that stuff he, he wants to address in his stories. And he's like, oh, you know what? Zombies kind of works in that. Um, so it's, you know, I, I can't entirely speak for him in terms of his creative process, but I think it's really cool that he definitely does put story and drama and, and the human experience first because it's not like a zombie comic book. It's, it is about the survivors and kind of how they're related to each other, how they interact with each other and how they form and dissolve relationships. And yeah, it, there's incredible depth in the series. Yeah, and he's a great example of an artist uh, or a comic book creator who creates superhero comics like Invincible, and then he has mm-hmm. comics about you know surviving a zombie apocalypse or surviving the people who survived the zombie apocalypse. That's probably right, a better right. a better analogy. <laughs> oh, he has a story about a professional thief. I mean, he he's got tons of different stories, and and he's a good example of of what comic books are about. They're they're about telling stories. They're about telling stories. Mm-hmm that look cool and and are entertaining but they can have all these different uh amazing aspects to them that is is what makes them effective in therapy right yeah it focuses it really is an incredible blend of the visual medium with the the written form that you know when you when you and of like of course this is no slight against you know um, novel authors or anything like that but you know just uh written text but when when you when you're reading when you're reading a book uh, that so much of what you're reading is is going to be kind of painting the scenery and painting the emotion and all that kind of stuff and that's what's cool i think about a comic is that it 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 gives you all of that um in in a really kind of creative fashion because you're going to have the dialogue and you're going to have like the thought bubbles or you're going to have like the kind of narration maybe all these creative ways to use a written form to tell that story but the added piece of having incredibly beautiful and sometimes striking sometimes scary like like thrilling and, and terrifying but sometimes really um joyful like really wonderful uh, rewarding kind of art in there to kind of help move it along to give you um a, a more kind of a more specific kind of representation of what's going on instead of the author trying to paint it with words we'll have an artist who illustrates it with with you know their pencils and with ink and with color um so yeah it's a that's i, I don't know I know this is kind of like an odd tangent to get into, but I think it's that's kind of why I love the comic book form is that it's uh, it's it's such incredibly deep stories told in such an um, a unique way. And and you sound pretty passionate about that. And if you were my client, I would probably suggest that we talk about comic books because it's obviously important to you. 
and they mean right. a lot I to mean, you. I mean, doesn't yeah. doesn't that only make sense? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if a client comes in like, "I love comic books," that's cool. We're not talking. Like you mentioned earlier, that's cool, but we're not going to talk about that today. Exactly. Uh, that's, yeah. Well, that would be uh, what the research would be like, right? Like, oh, Patrick, yeah. I'm very glad that you like comic books, but for the the purpose of research, I want you to not talk about anything that you like. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Let's see how this works. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but I mean, it, it's going to happen eventually. You know, maybe someday there will be someone like in terms of video game research, we have Craig Anderson, Brad Bushman. I feel that they are, you know, they have an agenda. They want to prove that video games are bad for people. So they've actually gone out and done a lot of research, right? So now there's all this data. So maybe someday with comic books, someone will do the same, you know, whether they are in favor or not. You know, and then I think that once one person goes on one side or the other, it kind of balances itself out, right? Um, maybe someone does, uh, uh, someone starts doing research in favor and someone starts doing research on the other side. And, and that's a great stuff. Uh, that's a great thing about, um, the research community, right? We want to repeat, um, research has been done in the past to make sure that it actually is effective, that it does actually work. And, we have all these theories that we want to make sure that we prove. And if anybody goes in one direction or the other, I don't know. And I think we're moving in a positive direction. I think this article, The Rise of Superhero Therapy, the fact that there was interest enough, you know, by the Daily Beast to actually publish that shows that as far as geek therapy is concerned, I talk to people who love these ideas all the time. And you and I talk about this all the time, about how we meet people who have these amazing, innovative ways of um, integrating things that they're really into. Sometimes it's superheroes, sometimes it's comic books, into therapy. So I honestly believe that Alex is onto something. I think there is a rise of superhero therapy. I think that it's great that he recognized our work, and I think that there are more people doing this, and I think there will be many more in the future. Absolutely, I agree with you. That I think it's. I, I love that it's gotten so much exposure, and I love that um, one of the cool kind of um, side effects to this is that uh, I, I've been receiving emails from different clinicians and students uh, from around the world who say like me too, right? I'm doing this too. And, um, and that's awesome. And, and I would actually, if I could encourage listeners, um, to reach out to Josue and I, um, you know, we're, I think we're both really easy to get a hold of. And I love, 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 love hearing these stories from people of how they're, you're already using superheroes or comic books in therapy. We, we need to kind of like get connected with one another and kind of share some of our stories and our, and our experiences and, and kind of compare notes, if, if nothing else. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that's out there, and I love that it's getting um, increased attention. That's what this show is for, right? I want people to come on, especially, and, and talk about that so they can share it with other people. Explain it. Go into detail with it, right? When I asked you about Comicspedia, you went into detail about what it is. You, this is well thought out. This is something that you use all the time. And, and I think that the more people hear that, um, the more they'll understand it. And I think there are a lot of people out there who maybe haven't told anyone about what they're doing. And the more we tell each other, the more we share these stories, the better it'll be for, for all of us, especially our clients. This is really about our patients and our clients, right? A lot of the, the, a lot of the worry that comes behind the not being evidence based and things like that. Really, that comes from a place of, I think it comes from a place of protecting patients and clients. We want to make sure that everybody is okay. And, and I'm completely on board with that. And. Yeah. And the more that we all talk, the better it is for for those people that we're working with, you know, the people that we're trying to help. So, so yeah, absolutely reach out to us, please, you know, and and we're always trying to build this network up. And the more information mm-hmm. we share with each other, the better. 
exactly yeah i mean honestly and and i as much as i as i love comic books and i and i um you know think that they have a great utility in therapy uh, i do if if the res- if research gets conducted and it comes out that using comic books in therapy is somehow like if it's the same as other forms of therapy i think that's a win i think that's awesome if it comes out that it's like significantly less like it's like there's no recognizable change you know what i'm cool with that too because a it's a name of science it's it's research as long as it was um had sound methodology fantastic and b then I can stop summarizing comic books and I can stop working on Comicspedia because it's been proven that it's, it's worthless. Um, but, uh, so anyway, again, however it comes out, that's, that's the way it is. That's, that's how science works. So yeah, I'm always in favor of, of discovering whatever the answers are that are out there. Um, I, and I love what you mentioned earlier too about students and, and, um, doing re- like not conducting research in the sense of like creating knowledge, like creating research but more so like consuming research and using it for papers. Um, I always encourage students that if there's any kind of room in your course, in, in like your coursework for a personal project of, you know, take a character you like, take a movie you like, or take a, you know, whatever, and do this sort of like case conceptualization or an analysis of this person's life or, or whatever, take something. If there's any part of you that can be injected into your work, make it something like this. Like how cool would it be if, like you actually went through five or six or, or 10 or whatever graduate level courses that had the kind of um, uh, work available where you could kind of look into Batman maybe because you love Batman and you really want to apply um, uh, diversity issues and diversity questions to Batman and his uh, you know rogues gallery. You want to look at psychopathology with the same characters. Maybe you go into your, um, you know, uh, treatment, um, your therapy based kind of courses and you're doing like CBT work and you want to see how would CBT work with someone like Bruce Wayne and, and wrestling with, you know, his, uh, the loss of his parents when he was young. I mean, there, especially when we talk about students in counseling or clinical psychology, I absolutely encourage, like, please run with it and, and work through it and stuff. And you'll find it's both a lot more fun, um, like gets you a lot more engaged with the coursework. And who knows, maybe it's something that you, you start to learn and work with and you can carry on then into your, your profession and kind of uh, find others with similar interests, just as Josue and I do. Another effect that that kind of attitude would have is it does challenge kind of, right, like the, the traditional models that might be presented by your school. And some some teachers may be resistant and mm-hmm. that that's okay. Like they can give you feedback, you know, and, and, and you can also make an argument back. Um, that's, that, that was one of my favorite things about being in college, you know, and doing projects where you got feedback from somebody who, who was a professional, who, who had years of experience and a lot of knowledge. And when you try to make those connections, they'll tell you if, if those connections are making sense or if they're not. And it's a great feedback loop to, to be involved in. And every opportunity you get, yeah, see if you can, see if you can use this stuff that you're passionate about. And now, again, as there is a rise of superhero therapy, there should be more information out there that you can, that you can use to support what you're doing. And, and by doing that research, you also help support it. It's a, it's a win-win for everybody. Right. The teachers yeah. might learn something. Your fellow students might learn something. You're definitely <laughs> going to learn something. Yeah, absolutely. One more, one more thing I do want to say about, um, the research part of it. Uh, there is a difference in, in clinical practice between, like a theoretical orientation and then actual uh, activities and skills and tools that you use within therapy. So at least I can speak for myself. Um, I work from uh, something called rational emotive behavior therapy. 
And that is a theoretical orientation. And then a lot of what I do, the whole geek therapy concept is very broad. And I bring a lot of that into it, which is very passion based and sure, superheroes, comic books, video games, TV shows. But I always go back to that clinical component, right? There is a, a very clinical foundation to what I do. And I think it's, it's difficult to, for maybe everybody to understand that clinicians do have these theoretical orientations. That's what they learn in school. And then there are different ways to do it. There are expressive arts therapies. There are creative um, ways to do what we do. And really, that's what we're talking about here and promoting. Yeah, total, total agreement. So I think we're going to wrap it up uh, right here. I think I think we covered everything in the article. Um, I was very glad to see, again, uh, Dr. Rubin mentioned. Um, our friend Steve Kuniak um, was mentioned also. Uh, it was it was great. I hope you check it out. Again, it's on the Daily Beast. It's called The Rise of Superhero Therapy. Um, check it out and let us know what you think. And if you came to this podcast because of that, and I hope we were able to flesh out some of the ideas that were there a little better. And, yeah, absolutely reach out to us. So um, tell us again, how can people get a hold of you? Sure. So uh, my website is comicspedia.net. That's C-O-M-I-C-S-P-E-D-I-A. So it's like comics, plural, you know, and then Pedia, like Wikipedia, very original name. Um, so comicspedia.net and Twitter is comicspedia. Um, you know, my, my contact form is on the website. And so, yeah, again, you can, you can reach out to me through either of those channels. Yep. And we're at Geek Therapy. So just visit us at geektherapy.com or follow us at Geek Therapy. Thank you. That's